This is a content warning for the following episode. The following episode contains discussions of rape, sexual assault. Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. I'm your host, Young Me Mayor. As you all know by now, Harry Butthole is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. I have a guest on every week, and then I ask them to tell me a sad story, and then we laugh about it. Is it healing? I don't know. Is it funny? Sometimes. Is it sad? Pretty much always. <laughs> it's always something is what I'll say. It's always something. This week, I'm really excited to have a very, very special guest. This person is somebody I met during what feels like 4,000 years of doing stand-up in New York. She is known because of her appearances on Hysterical on FX a wonderful comedy documentary. And also she has a comedy album coming up with the hilarious Dylan Adler, who was on the show before called Rape Victims Are Horny Too. Please, everyone, lend me your ears for the hilarious Kelly Bachman. Hello. Thanks for having me, young me. I'm so glad you're here. I feel like whatever we, we've been in, I feel like multiple podcast situations at this point. Yeah, I'm saying this as no diss at all before it comes out, but it reminds me of the podcast I had you on, and during the pandemic, I stopped doing it, but it was called, like, Stupid Heavy. Right. It was yes. a, where we talk about something silly and then something serious, so it was a different format, but it was like, it's very I remember similar. on your episode, we talked about eating, eating disorders. disorders and... Oh, mukbang. Yeah, and I remember that you picked the two topics and you like didn't plan for them to have overlap, which which is they did, which is so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, I like, You're like I whoa, I can't believe. <laughs> I realized I was like, hmm. I have There's a binge a link eating here. disorder. I like watching I like- people eat. <laughs> <laughs> I have a binge eating disorder and I like watching people binge eat on YouTube. Weird. <laughs> Those are not related, are they? That's so funny. You know what's so funny? When I was doing this podcast, I didn't realize there there's actually another podcast called Laughing While Crying, which is what I was going to call it. Oh. Yeah, so there's another podcast called that. There's a publishing company called Cry Laughing where they publish books that are not exclusively like comedians doing sad stories, but that's like the gist of the publishing company. And then also when I started doing the podcast, I remember doing your podcast and I was like, oh, that's like what Kelly did. So it is, it's well, a, well, we yeah. had talked, you had talked to me about it when it, I believe we had talked about it when you came up with the idea. And I had said that I, I s- stopped doing it in part because it was, it was a little challenging for me to keep asking to keep asking people to talk about something really serious. Oh and yeah, so I'm already I feeling like, that. I, I was like, "Hey, I like don't want to ask people this," but it was fine. I was like, "Can you talk about something just painful in general, and then also talk about?" But I, I like that yours yeah. is like telling a story because that a kind of general. A challenge that people can take in different directions. See, this is my approach because I feel like it is a very common way that people talk about sad things in real life. I think, you know, like my whole thing was trying to capture the essence of, you know, you're sitting down with your girlfriends and you're telling this shitty thing that happened. You know, we all know when you're maybe going through a hideous breakup and you're getting harmed and all these horrible things are happening to you. And then your girlfriend's like crack a joke and you're like, yeah, he he did smell like cheese. He did smell like cheese. Why am I crying about this guy? (laughs) And then it's funny. Like, that's like what I'm trying to capture, I think, in the essence. And I think a lot of people recognize that as like very valuable and it's, it's very entertaining. But I also really respect people like yourself who take try to take something like very heavy and make it easy for or help people like 
process it in like a friendly, like kind manner. Yeah, it's I appreciate that. And I really like what you're doing. And we all have bad days and storytelling art of making light of that and cheering people up. That's that's a nice making it livable, nice man. Thing. Making yeah. it bearable to exist. Yeah. That's that's the beauty of life. What are we going to do? You know, we can't stop the bad things from happening, but we can also we can say that your ex-boyfriend smells like cheese. Right? Right. <laughs> Why, not? Why not? What else is there? My ex-boyfriends, for the record, I don't know if they smell like cheese or not at the moment, okay. but so that's in, not directed at anyone. In case it sounded like we were referencing <laughs> No, no, no. We were, we're not. Do you think he's listening to this? Like, I told um, him to stop hey, saying that. I'm not telling people he's smelling <laughs> cheese, okay? That's off Your limits. Your dick smells like cheese. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I told Kelly to we stop saying about that on podcast. No cheese stuff in podcast. <laughs> I specifically texted her that. <laughs> no, we're not talking about anyone specific. I just made that up you know off the top of the dome <laughs> well i wanted to also point out i know I, i'm like concerned that you're sick of talking about this but you like popped off really big well i guess it was years ago now huh it was like pre-covid because 2019 wow because yeah. you um did a comedy set and fucking harvey weinstein was in the fucking audience for some goddamn reason and nobody was saying anything about it and so you right. like jumped up on when you had to go on stage you were like what the fuck is this? And you were very funny, by the way. Like that was a like a high pressure moment. And but you were like, why the fuck is this fucking guy here? And uh, you know, obviously, it, like blew up online. I don't. I don't know. Do you want to say anything about that? Because I, I, you're probably sick of talking about it. Because I, I have like a, a anecdote that's related. Oh, cool. I'm curious to hear your anecdote, but I'm not sick of talking about it. There have been times when I've been sick of talking about it, or. Uh, times when I've been, um, I don't know what the word is, but nervous about it following yeah. me, I guess. And not in that I'm ashamed of it, but it would be like, I, I'll go on like any podcast or any, any situation where someone's talking to me, it's coming up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what would make me nervous about it is that. It lead it goes down a very unfunny yeah. <laughs> rabbit hole where it's about if if you watch that set, I, I say like I'm a I was raped and that's the starting point of me addressing the situation. And so that's what the conversation becomes about a lot. And yeah. that it's, makes and me nervous when I go on like a regular podcast because yeah. it's like, oh, we're all here to like riff and have fun and and this is like a, sh a show people are lis used to listening to that's um, silly and light. And then I'm coming in like rape, rape, but not yeah. even on purpose. It's just happening organically because people are like, oh, what what was going through your mind when that happened? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I was raped. Yeah. I, <laughs> do you really want to know? Yeah. But it's not it's not like questions about rape don't always bring out like, you know my most funny, funny ha -ha. side but yeah a podcast like this it makes total sense i'm gonna make it funny we're gonna make it funny. about sad stories that you're making funny so if you want to start let's start at the fucking the, the worst place imaginable and that's kind of what we did with the whole situation like that's what me and dylan's album is uh rape victims of horny 2 is a musical comedy hour about healing from rape trauma featuring Dylan and I, who are horny rape victims, ready to <laughs> sing. Well, so here's the thing, though. Your show is really funny. It's hilarious. Oh, and thanks. I'm sure anyone that's seen it, they know. But I feel like people, th this is what I find so ridiculous about the whole concept of rape. Because when we were younger, when we were kids growing up watching stand-up comedians, it was basically white men you know, or just men that are not white, but cis men doing stand up. And they had a bunch of rape jokes and, you know, whatever they were. Some of them are funny, but they were always sort of inappropriate because they were coming at it from not an angle of somebody that has experienced that. So it was kind of unfair. So then there was like this whole movement 
uh, where I think rightfully so people were like, don't do the rape jokes anymore because that's like inappropriate. And I agree. But then I feel like there there's like this new wave of comedians that came out after that that are people that were victimized by rape trying to make material about it as survivors right Mm -hmm. and then people were like no we can't we can't talk about rape and we're everyone's like no that's not what we meant by don't do rape jokes we meant like you you can do it if that's like your personal experience and you live through it right or even there's probably a way to talk about it like in any way that's not punching down on victims. Exactly. Like, it's like kind of like the way people talk about trans people in their comedy now. Like, why punch down on a marginalized group? Exactly. Survivors are already silenced. They're already suffering. So if they're the yeah. punchline, like, the odds of that being... Funny or appropriate or low. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like what people meant by don't do rape jokes is don't punch down on rape victims. There's a very easy way to do it. And if they were um, talented comedians, they would figure that out. But a lot of people are hack and they don't really fully understand the subject matter that they're talking about. And that's what we were saying. Like, don't do it in that way. And so then I feel like there is this like, I think that that has carried over to performers like yourself who are 100% know the subject matter and can do it in a very intelligent way. And people are still being like uncomfortable about it. Yeah. Well, people, there will be people who will be uncomfortable, like with the title of the show. But then overwhelmingly, there's just people that, you know, seem really grateful for the show. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I was really hungry for this show before I ever even did stand up i wanted it to exist because i was seeing stand-up specials where people were making jokes about rape being in the news and rapists and the jokes were like aside from punching down on victims which is the first part of a joke being very disappointing to me if it's about rape it was like the premises were not true. That's what mm-hmm. I think happens a lot with people yeah. tackling these kind of subjects. Like, it's like, okay, your joke technically is funny and is getting a big laugh, but the premise is so false that you've lost me. Like, there's a lot of jokes out there that basically imply that it's easy being a survivor. And so, mm, like, that's the yeah. starting point of the joke. And then everything after that, if you believe that, is funny. If you, mm-hmm. like, truly believe everyone believes you and like it works out for you and you get lots of money and opportunities from being a survivor if you believe that then there's like a lot of jokes to make from that but that's not the case yeah so survivors are so often not believed they so often don't come forward at all they're so often silenced making fun of the experiences we've gone through and also the way we're perceived like knowing that people view people that speak out as opportunists and like fame seekers like we're kind of yeah. joking like that's what we're trying to do when really we're wanting healing and wanting to laugh and also we want to be famous so. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that there there's a topic that's taboo for any comedian like whatever whoever you are it's fine that you tackle any topic but it's this um when they have not experienced it they're coming from this place where they just don't know what they're talking about so it's like okay like what you said the jokes are funny but then it's like like the premise is like shaky yeah it's like is that true like i feel like that's been happening a lot the last few weeks a lot of men are posting their abortion takes and some of them are funny yeah and some of them are some of them are really funny but then some of them it's kind of like think that's true it is fun like it's kind of like not like all jokes have to be true or anything but i think when jokes are about something that's really serious and important then that's the kind of the weight people are carrying and some people don't view it as like a responsibility they're like oh whatever i'm just being funny but yeah i try not to think lesser of other comedians for taking risks because i know i'm not uh perfect and i'm sure i'll make a mistake or like say a premise that doesn't make sense or yeah have the wrong take i'm sure i've had the wrong take before but i think it's more so like 
when I was watching those specials years ago, I was really wanting to see something else and not necessarily take away anyone's microphone, but like give it to someone else. Like, yeah, yeah. Two, at least. It's not even about like sensitivity or these topics are too, um, I'm I'm offended that you're talking about these topics. It's like you're not talented enough or smart enough to tackle this hard subject and you're you're doing it in this way that you're making up scenarios because you're trying to get to a punchline and that mm-hmm. to me reads as hack. It's like you need to if you're going to yeah. joke about something, you need to sit down, research it, understand it or have gone through it and that will that will bring up an authentic genuine joke that people that truly have experienced it, it will hit with those people and that will be for personally, I just feel like that's like a better joke. But that having been said, I know what you mean. I've made a lot of shitty, I've had a lot of shitty bad takes too. And, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what I'm talking about. So I understand it. But um, I guess, you know, I, I just wanted to share my like little sad anecdote really quick that's semi-related. Oh, yeah. Go for it. So I don't even know. This isn't even a story, but it's like... It it just reminded me of this because I know that your incident was tied to obviously the Me Too movement, the main person behind the Me Too movement. And we all know, you know, in 2017 when all that went down, mm-hmm. I, oh, you want to hear a really interesting story. I had Helen Cho on this podcast who, you know, was working for Anthony Bourdain before he passed. Mm-hmm. I was with Anthony Bourdain the day that he found out uh, that people were coming forward about Harvey Weinstein. Wow. Like we were shooting some sort of TV show and I was there and it was like, you know, that TV show that plays in the back of the taxi cabs with that woman with brown hair. And it's like, this Mm -hmm. is uh, the new like brunch restaurant in New York City. Like we were shooting like that segment and he was like meeting with my ex-husband. And I remember like I was just like standing next to him and he was like very nervously like smoking cigarettes outside the the restaurant and he was like on his phone like obsessively and i was like oh he's like a busy celebrity but then later when we were in the car he was talking about it he's like well the harvey story broke today did you guys see this in the new york times and like you know his at the time i think his girlfriend girlfriend, ozia was like the one of the people Mm -hmm. and so he was like on the phone with her and being like why isn't the story blowing up like he had shared it on twitter and stuff and like literally weeks later it took me a while to realize like what that moment meant do you know what I mean because I was like what's happening I don't understand I wasn't even really on Twitter back in those days Mm -hmm. it was like and like looking back I was like that's so weird that that was the day that that was all going down but the this the sad anecdote I think about that and I think I've just been thinking a lot about like the me too movement and what has happened since I think that there was like there's we're fully in like the backlash era of that Mm -hmm. and I kind of felt like while that was happening I was like while every single like every single person was getting called out and and people were like how is it that all these men are men are predators like how why is it so many of them are predatory and people were like this is this is blowing our minds. How is it like every powerful man is abusing people around him? And, you know, women were like, yes, like all of us have gone through this. We've been telling you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt during that time, cause it was so like, like big. I was like, there's, I, I think everyone felt there's going to definitely be like a backlash. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're f- solidly in this backlash era and it's like making me really sad because I'm like for a moment for a split second in time it looked like we were gonna be like all right this like systemic abuse you know where powerful men abuse women yeah it's gonna shift and instead it just sort of like popped back up like with more force yeah and, and there's um, there's been people who've been coming forward and not getting believed or losing cases. The Am- the way people were talking about Amber Heard was very disheartening. Yeah, it was very intense. Like the entire internet was like making a mockery of her and that's Yeah, it was just-, just very disturbing the language people were using without research even. Like people were just very ready to say some very intense things. 
And the interesting thing is, but that's just how it has been. And it's always mm-hmm. been like that. Do you know what I mean? Before the like eight months we had of the Me Too movement where we were like finally believed and then mm-hmm. it just like popped severely back into how it was. And yeah. I was just like, it's just something that I've has been on my mind every day where I'm just like, all these things that if any of this shit happens, you know, to me again, it's like I have I don't have the freedom to be, you know, open yeah. and vocal about it that I believe yeah. that I did for a few years. It does feel like I mean, I I had a I was kind of debating what to talk about as my sad story. And I was like partially thinking of going way away from this topic but then also it's very relevant to I guess the album coming out and all that in 2017 I was also feeling so triggered by people were talking about at work all the time it felt like all of a sudden everything I did involved it all the time like if I worked on a movie some of the movie was about rape if I was talking to comedians they're talking about rape if Mm -hmm. I was like it was just around all the time but I I was really hungry to find people saying what I needed to hear about it. And so when I would like watch that Dave Chappelle special, I was really eager for him to say what I needed to hear. And he actually, he has some, some speech where he talks about how everyone has their champion in the room. I think it's his Mm. Mark Twain acceptance speech. And I was watching him and I think I was like, wanting someone like him to be my champion, like wanting a famous Mm. comic to say the thing, like wanting a famous comic to like talk shit about their friend Mm -hmm. that is being accused of things. And I I just wasn't hearing what I was looking for. So I, I started looking in the New York comedy scene, like looking for survivor comics. And I did find them. I found a lot of really, funny comic but i i was like eagerly finding like seeking these people out and asking people where to find more and i wasn't even doing stand-up yet i i just wanted Mm. to like make a documentary about it i wanted to like put these women out there and interview them and you know film them doing their jokes but i wasn't finding them doing the uh the jokes like in their regular sets a lot of them were being like oh, i have these jokes but i never really do them it's hard to talk about so i i put together this show rape jokes by survivors so that i could film it for the documentary mm. i remember i ended up doing like one of my first open mics ever just in trying to gather these women wow where i was like trying to get them to get up and do their jokes so i i got up and just and did something that i like made up but really it was like i had been journaling for years of like wanting to i was like a little secret wannabe your secret little five minute <laughs> set that you've been writing in your <laughs> journal it was like i would never oh, but i literally had a document oh, no, I don't have anything <laughs> i had a document in my computer that i found recently called Opening jokes for oh. rape jokes by survivors for in case the host drops out. It wow. was like in case there's no host and I have That's to host. So funny. Here's what I would write. Oh, it just no, in case the there's an emergency. Make it? Well, I, I guess I I have to do it. Oh, you need me to save the show? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But I I was really not thinking that I belonged on stage in general, which was very tied to my own trauma a lot of people experience that though they feel like they don't have the uh they don't deserve the space to express themselves so they become advocates for other people and it's like and it's like this you know you put your energy into making sure the other people around you find a pathway to success and then you have to break through that and and see that you deserve it for yourself so and I had been doing that for a while. I had been dating a comic and mm, like writing jokes for him and like helping him, writing sketches oh for him, directing God. sketches. That's sad. I, I had to, been doing stuff like that for a while. I no judgment because I know so many people live this life and it's not just, you know, like women. It's a lot of people. They have this like psychological barrier stopping them from thinking that they deserve 
what they want, which is whatever attention or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the right to be creative. And so then they funnel that energy into somebody else. And I think a lot of it's not only women, but a lot of women get into those sort of relationships with men who are creative. Yeah. And so I always and I spent like all my 20s doing that, like funneling yeah. my energy into a creative husband. And I see I, I'm not pointing any fingers, but like I see so many men who are famous, like um, actors and stuff like that. And they have these like stay at home wife sort of people. Right. And I'm like, I know that woman is so creative and I know she has all this energy and these juices and she's like pumping them into this husband, right. you know, and um, it's like that horrible saying like behind every like man, there's like a woman or whatever. But it's like in this society for, for a lot of women, you know, it, there's so many roadblocks into achieving fame for in, yeah. in any field. So you have to just sort of like support a husband. And even after years of, I don't know, for, for some people, it's like a good life to live. But for me, I found it so excruciating. Like I found it like every day my life was like torture and it wasn't even my ex-husband that was making me do this. It was me, right. my my internalized belief that I didn't deserve to like have a voice, you know. Right. Yeah, I I hadn't I wasn't even thinking about it that way because I thought I was living my dream like I was making I was trying to become a filmmaker and mm. I was making sketches and I thought like oh we're such a great team like I make the sketches and he's in them and like I, mm. And I was being creative in a lot of ways, and I did move to New York and was kind of pursuing my dreams, right. but I also realized that I was living vicariously through him and yeah. hiding behind him and and others. Like, I was collaborating with a lot of people, and... uh I was really lucky that he broke up with me. I, I, I would have kept. I would have kept doing that for however yeah. long. And he also became really successful. A lot of a lot of it in part. One of our sketches. It 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 was went viral, and he ended up getting a really great job. And it was a big mm. wake up call for me because mm-hmm. I was like, and then oh, he broke shit. up with you. Well, he had already broken up with me right right before he got the job, mm-hmm. but. And he was really grateful too. He was he I mean, he thanked me and it just was a big wake up call for me because I realized I I've been wanting that. I was yeah. already wanting that great job. I realized, oh, like I need to be trying to do this for myself. Yeah. If I'm making, you know, what someone else wants to exist and it's mm-hmm. working, what can and and then I thought like what do I really want to make exist? And it was this show, Rape Jokes by Survivors. That's amazing. And when I started producing the show, even then, that was the final straw. I was like seeing all these women on stage who were amazing. I was like, shit, that's still not me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's amazing. So I started doing stand up, and a year later, after deciding to start doing that, is when the Harvey Weinstein thing happened. Wow. And it was like, whoa. And it felt like a little bit of a test. Like, Hey, were you really, were you serious? Like the universe being like, were you serious about, you know, wanting to make the survivor thing? Were you serious about wanting to say that if, you know, mm. what you wanted to hear said about this? Cause you're a comic now and here's your, you know, here he is. Like, what are you going to yeah. say? And I remember being really nervous, like feeling like I didn't say enough or these other women would have said more. And mm. once yeah. it all happened, I, um, there was a relief of like it being out there, but also there was some backlash in my own life of like losing friends and having people tell me that I shouldn't talk about this or having my family find out about it in the news. And it's like a litmus test for how people feel about the whole subject because they pretty much let me know right away. And then yeah. it does weed people out of my life very quickly, which is nice if they're like not people that I want to be around. But yeah, I mean, that's rough because what, what we've been saying, like it's a very hard subject. And like for that to be the first thing people know about you. And then, you know what I mean? Like, and it's the first thing they talk to me about. Like yeah, every, almost rough. every day. Uh, I, it's truly every day. Like people start conversations with me about 
yeah rape and and that's I mean, why we did waiting. it on this podcast i was like let's talk about rape <laughs> <laughs> can i say i, I just want to touch on this topic which i think is really interesting that we both sort of went through where we you know felt that the need to support other people and their endeavors um for you know obviously a variety of reasons i've been actually thinking about this topic all the time these days because you see it so much in like every aspect of how a lot of women live their lives like there was that other like viral tweet about that surgeon and he was like a brain surgeon he had five children and he Mm -hmm. was like he was talking about how how he had done all this stuff he's like i'm a brain surgeon i have five kids and i i've done all this and people were like who was watching your children during this entire career like you're bragging about your career and he was like yeah i have a wife who did free labor for me it's basically free Mm -hmm. child care free housework free emotional labor while i did whatever the fuck i wanted and people were just like do you not realize that you didn't do this on your own? He was like, yeah, right. I'm like the surgeon with kids. And and that, that work that women do is so invisible for a lot of people. And, you know, there's like that other, this is all like Twitter talk, but like that other comic artist that she was like, she like has this comic and she was like getting dragged because she talks shit about her husband so much and like how much more work she does around the house. Um, but I think it's like important because I I was kind of like, yeah, I think this woman should also get a divorce. I think this is not a good marriage. But I'm I'm like, this is an important comic for somebody to write because because all her like comment section is women being like, this is exactly my life, you know. And yeah. I just feel like it's so it's so this is such a big thing. Like pe- people that are like socialized female being raised to believe that they don't deserve to go out and do whatever they want whether it's brain surgery or comedy and they have to like funnel all their like energy into somebody else you know yeah whether it's like a husband or other creatives because you see so many women in roles like producer or you know like the documentary filmmaker that's like doing these creative things that are sort of like in support of the other person or personal assistant or something like that and i think there's like a relationship there yeah it was really documentary film was kind of my door in you know to to letting myself be creative because i was really i think because a lot of these women they're like doing actual labor for i mean they're doing like there's the emotional labor and the like and the um the labor of being a wife and a mom domestic and domestic labor but then there's like people there are comedians who quit comedy and help their famous comedian husbands with their career there are filmmakers who help their filmmaker husbands make their films rather than making their own films and there are people there are so many people who choose the couples where the couple choose the career of one of the partners and it's the husband a lot of times and that's there's that's okay to do it's fine but yeah for me i i feel lucky that i figured that out earlier because i think like looking at those journals of like the kid I was, I was, I was clearly for me, for me, I realized I was clearly such a creative kid. I talk about it a lot. I talk about wanting to be funny and being funny and writing Mm -hmm. and little plays I want to do and all these little creative things. But my ambitions are always like whatever's kind of been assigned to me, which is like, I'm going to be, I say like on all my journals, it's like, I'm going to be a mom and a cook and a nurse (laughs) and a like whatever, like my parents a teacher, like, I'm going to help people. I want to help people in the world. Well, also, I just want to say, yeah, I think it's, like, it's socialized in us to, like, t- value that more. Being caretakers is above whatever your Because if we have endeavors, creative endeavors, it's seen as selfish, right? But mm-hmm. I also want to point out that all those caretaking responsibilities is, like, is, and, like, the want and need to take care of other people is beautiful and we should all have that men should also have that men should do that to their wives too it shouldn't just be one-sided i I don't think it's like we should live in a world where nobody 
wants to take care of each other and like some some people call it you know there's like a fine line between emotional labor and just being a human being and listening to each other right. and caring about each other i just feel like it's so one-sided you know a lot of times i think we should all like carry the load of like emotional labor child care domestic labor and do it together as a community instead of trying to funnel it into you know one creative person and i think that that dialogue has also gotten like pretty extreme yeah um the balance is the balance is like off. i care about people in the world and i want to help people like that's all still true it's a great I still, thing and yeah. i want to be helpful to my family and friends thing i have i've had to like unlearn was this idea that my creativity was this hobby on the side and i think yeah. a lot of people experience that but because it's pleasurable well, you don't deserve it or something or right it's like, like, it's like feeding to, your ego or something yeah i'm supposed to just be giving myself to the world yep. or like tr trying to be helpful but sharing your art is giving something exactly and it's i think it's a balance i think i think neither of those things are bad i think we we all have to just get to a place where men and women are equally you know expected to be a full human being you you pursue your creative pursuits and say what you want to say or your passions and also the other side of that is take care of your family and it has to be half and half it can't be one person gets to do everything and the other person has to do everything it's like so unfair and, and it makes you fucking so unhappy I, I for me personally it made me so unhappy to live that life so i hope if anyone's living this sort of lopsided life i hope they like realize that i read the artist way the oh yeah book which <laughs> is like take it with a major grain of salt and i was also joined the book club with a group of people the book club was the artist way for comedians and i literally on day one of the group was like i'm not a comedian but i'm just doing wow this book interesting because and then page one was like the shadow artist someone who surrounds themselves with the artists they actually want to oh, be yeah. but they like aren't doing it and i looked around like oh shit the but, funny thing is that book was written by martin scorsese's wife oh yeah <laughs> she is like the classic shadow or she's like just supporting her husband she had gone through that before like I guess that was where maybe a lot of the book was coming from was like yeah having been married to him. But what a yeah, fascinating. It is interesting cuz I felt like my little hero's journey of finding stand up was like this thing of kind of looking for a champion and all these people and um you know, trying to find that in myself eventually, but that's sort of how a lot of the healing from all this trauma is very tied to that as well. You mentioned earlier the the fear of, you know, things happening again, and we live in this post-Me Too where yeah. they were like, was Me Too, and now it seems to be over, or whatever, and... People ask me about stuff like that a lot, but I, I try to, I mean, I don't try to tell people this, but I like people to know in the show, I say it very briefly, but the last time something happened to me was 2020. Like it was after all of, we started this whole mm -hmm. journey after I, you know, started doing stand up after I found my path and found this show after we had been performing it a year and or the person who did it i remember watched the video of me confronting weinstein and he said like that's so badass you're so cool Ugh. and there was i i did go through this experience where i went through all my trauma all over again but this time as this wiser more wise person uh who yeah. has written the whole show and done the dance and everything and it still sucks like it just sucks and there's no getting around that you just kind of wow but but also it gave me this perspective that that i mean it didn't yeah. give me i gave myself this perspective <laughs> yeah uh but i have this perspective that from having experienced it in all these different times, I'm just like, holy shit, this is not 
my fault at all. Like, yeah, yeah. This is none of our faults. Exactly. This is this shitty thing that keeps happening. And it's just, no matter what. Remember, I tried to tweet about it the next day, which I deleted immediately because I could tell everyone was obviously, rightfully, just like, oh my fucking. (laughs) But I delete, I I think what I I tweeted the next day that I deleted was like, um, me realizing that I had been raped in, uh, 2012, 2016, and 2020, and God saying, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm so OCD. Because that's, I feel like if per- anyone they can were make that perfectly funny, spaced yeah. apart. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta not go out every the fourth year. He's gonna just yeah, stay home. I, I will have a, I will absolutely have a panic attack about this in 2024. I mean, so this, that's absolutely not funny. It's the least funny thing on fucking earth, but this is, this is like also why I do this podcast. It's like, we have these fucking shitty things. Like, obviously you're talk you're, you know, point of focus as a comedian is rape, like one of the most horrendous things that pe- anyone can go through. And the fact that if we're being really truthfully honest, there's no way that any society is going to make any real steps toward eradicating rape in our lifetimes or in the next five generations. But like just thinking about that and the fact that it's just always going to happen is just like what the fuck are we going to do like there's literally nothing we can do but laugh about it and i think that's like the whole fucking point of this show and your show and it's not like we're giving up we're not it's not like we're gonna stop trying to you know yeah um, move towards like a, a world where this doesn't happen but if we're being realistic it's going to be yeah, a long time. You know, it's if ever, it's a, if ever. it yeah. is a tale as old as time. I'm very determined in my life to be defiantly joyful in a way. Like mm. I, I want to be. I want to keep imagining a brighter future, and I want to imagine a lot more for myself and for other people. And like when I, I like was reading my. My journal from, um, it was from 2000, uh, 2002 or something, right before we started this. Like, that's what I was talking about. And right. that is still the person I am. And yeah, I feel like that's the cycle. I, I don't know. It's when you're listening to your intuition and Mm -hmm. you don't turn around the corner and something doesn't happen because you don't turn around the corner. You don't really get to know that you were right. Mm. That's a good point. You just keep walking and you only know that you were right if you turn the corner and something bad happens around the corner. And then you say, I should have listened to my intuition. But like, as I keep kind of on this path I'm on now and every time I you know, feel like I'm in a good cycle and a good relationship and I'm like all of that. It's, it's sort of, it's hard to quantify what that mm-hmm. is. Like all mm-hmm. those good, all the good that we're putting out in the world. Yeah. Because it's, we can count, we can count all the bad things. Like literally I can count them one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Like I don't like counting that. It, well, it really, it feels heavy, but if I were to list all the good things, I'd have a lot longer list. I don't know. My my like horror belief in this world is that there's good things and bad things that are always going to happen. It's out of my control. It has nothing to do with me, but I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it, you know, like chaotically in the streets. And mm-hmm. so I guess like it, it's, it's almost like, am I going to be powerful enough to affect all this bad stuff from ever happening? No, but like why? Of course not. Who is? And like, I it's, it's never bothered me that I, that I am not going to be the person that's going to, you know, like cure cancer or stop rape. I'm just going to do it in my life and, and make sure that people around me hear that I'm, you know, experiencing the same things and they can feel, um, you know, like relate to me. But I want right. to say that I think that that was like a great way to put your, describe your work and like maybe even your outlook on life. It was, was it like, was it, uh, 
undeniably happy. How did you say it? Oh, um, defiantly, defiantly joyful. Defiantly joyful. I think that describes your show really well. And I think that's oh, like a thanks. great way to like leave this conversation. I think, well, this is what I was going to joke about, but I feel like this is so highly inappropriate. I was just going to joke about, <laughs> I mean, you made, you it. made the joke, the, um, I think that the good way to end this episode, the laughter part is the fact that you, you know, were raped even after all this had happened and you defiantly, (laughs) joyfully were able to come up with a hilarious tweet about God having OCD and and making it happen to you every four years. Which I deleted. (laughs) I deleted the tweet. (laughs) Too spicy. The world's not ready. They're not too dark. (laughs) They're not ready for a victim that has like experienced something and is ready to be defiantly joyful about it. Well, we even cut that. <laughs> I even tried that on stage at our show and it bombed. I think maybe that just bombed, but that's okay because we have a lot of jokes in the show that crush, which mainly the show oh. is like we're basically trying to be the weird owl of rape uh, or the, the weird owl of rape. Rape. And yes. it, uh, the show is a lot of parody songs about our trauma a lot of songs like i'm every victim we've all been raped or uh roxanne you don't have to turn on the gasoline or um one of my favorites is you remind me of a rape that i once knew when i look into your eyes you rape me too (laughs) And that's why I just can't ever make eye contact with anyone again. <laughs> so we do that for basically an hour. And uh, it's a really a silly show. And uh, Dylan and I are very silly people. And there is a lot of darkness in the world. And we're not going to fix it all. But I can text a survivor friend tonight and see if she wants to get dinner. And... That's what I can do every day. Something, something nice. Kelly, something I was. I have a rape sweet. joke that I wrote that always bombs, but I was trying to find it, and now I have to remember it and tell you. Um, it was something like, um, fuck, god damn it! I have a rape joke, and it bombed. Once I did it at a big show, there was like 300 people in the audience. It bombed so hard that a woman in the audience started screaming at me and, and was like, "Don't joke about rape!" And Dang, I was like, "I'm talking that's... about be- being raped <laughs> as the victim. I'm not making fun of rape." You, Dang, but that's it was a brutal bomb. It was. Br- and she screamed at me, and I was like, "Okay, it's not funny. Sorry." Um, but I think the joke was something like, "Oh God, I feel like it was funny." How am I gonna find this? Maybe I tweeted it. Shall I look? I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. If I can't find it, I will end it right here. I will end it all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> here are my rape tweets. Should I just read the rape tweets? Yeah. That I where I tweet about rape. Oh, one of my favorite tweets i was like male comedians are like women aren't funny also i rape women (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, wait what was it i think my joke was something about like oh um guy oh god fuck i'm gonna find it i'm gonna i'm gonna record it later and add it to this i was just like guys will be like i oh, oh oh here this is this is a joke um i was like oh men think that women um only pretty women get raped like if you're like ugly you can't get raped and i'm like my rapist didn't rape me because i was pretty my rapist raped me because i was unconscious it was something (laughs) like that which is true it's sad but but that's fu- hilarious. It is, it is fun. He didn't care what I looked like. He just cared. The most important thing for, you know, a rape victim to be is unconscious. Let's. So that was my rape joke that bombed. So I threw that in there for solidarity. Dang, I can't believe someone booed that. I mean, no, this woman I could screamed see people at feeling me. really sad, but I can't see. 
she me being screamed like, at me. <laughs> she was on a date. She was with her boyfriend. And she was very, like, blonde, almost conservative-leaning looking, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, men think, you know, like... Uh, women that are ugly don't get raped or whatever and I was like my rapist didn't rape me because I was pretty I, I, he raped me because I was unconscious and she was like don't joke about rape and I was like I'm talking about my rape <laughs> dang uh, see that's I mean I've definitely had some ones bomb but I mean I did get booed at the, the Weinstein thing but um, right. getting booed dude that was the worst bomb but there was a table of that women might, in the that... front that laughed and they're like, yeah. keep going. That's okay. Well, actually, after that Weinstein set, that remember that was my first thought was that I was going to post it to. There was this Facebook group on um, it on Facebook. There was a group called I Bombed. Yeah. Where comics would post their bombs. Oh my god. And I remember thinking like, ah, I can't wait to post this to I Bombed. <laughs> I'm gonna tweet about. This. So I was like, yeah. guys, I bombed. <laughs> I talked about my. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Where can our listeners find you on social media? I'm at Twitter uh, at Belly Cockman. And I'm on Instagram at Kelly Bachman. And mine and and Dylan's album is coming out on September 23rd. Rape Victims Are Horny Too. Nice. When we are... Writing jokes about rape, it is funny. When I loosely talk about it, it is sad. But the show is the show's funny. hilarious. It's amazing. It is um, funny. Everyone check it out if you're in New York City. When's your next show for Rape Victims Are Horny Too? Well, we're going to have our album release show on September 22nd at Union Hall. So nice. I do want everyone I'm to coming. come to that who can. Everyone yeah. come. I'm going to be there. Um, also if you want to follow me on social media I'm on social media at YM Mayor or Young Me Mayor on TikTok the podcast can be found on Harry Butthole Podcast I have a Patreon that I absolutely do nothing on so I'm so sorry if you subscribe one day I'm gonna have like some sort of like five million dollar giveaway and it's gonna be worth months years of donating three (laughs) dollars but (laughs) right now nothing's going on but if you want to you know support me you can find it there thank you again for listening bye